Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you live your faith in the public arena. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me in studio is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Zapiniak. Hey, Kit. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in once again this week. We hope that you are having a very blessed day. Make sure that you catch us online as well if you don't catch us on the air. You can go to mncatholic.org forward slash podcast where you will find all of our past episodes. We've got around 100 of them, so plenty of great listening to be had, especially if you got a road trip or something coming up. In today's episode, we're talking about advocacy in the public square and what it means to be countercultural. We talk about fighting the culture of death or opposing the throwaway culture, but what does it mean to be counterculture? And do we need to think in different terms, perhaps building a culture of life? In our mailbag segment, we answer a question about legislative efforts to decriminalize poverty. And of course, we want to leave you with some practical tips on how you can start to put your faith into action. In our bricklayer segment, we talk about how you can join in the fight against physician-assisted suicide. And if you have an idea for our bricklayer segment, or maybe it's just a question about faith and politics, make sure to send that our way. Send me an email. It's show at mncatholic.org. And you can also leave us any comments on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You'll find us by searching for the Minnesota Catholic Conference. We're now blessed to be joined on the line by Gunnar Gunderson. Despite the name, he's not a Minnesotan, but he is an affiliated scholar and a member of the fellowship faculty at the James Wilson Institute on Natural Rights in the American Founding, which is led by Professor Hadley Arcus, who we've had on the Bridge Builder program in the past. Gunnar is also a partner at Gunderson & Gunderson, where he represents clients on intellectual property matters, including before the U.S. Supreme Court. His career, legal career began as a law clerk to Judge Darmido Scanlon on the Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals. We are talking to Gunnar because of a very fine article he wrote this year for the University of Notre Dame's Church Life Journal, which is published by the McGrath Institute there. That article, The Dead End of Countercultural Catholicism, makes an argument about what it means to be truly counterculture and how we need to, we need to go beyond simply just countering something. Gunnar Gunderson, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us on The Bridge Builder. Hi. Yeah, thank you. First of all, I think we need for our listeners to just get straight on our terms. That's always important. Let's frame the issue. What is culture in the first place? That's right. Um, the, what, the genesis of this article is culture and its meaning. Right? Culture is how a group of people have their lived experience uh, of the truth. And so if, if culture is a lived experience of the truth, Christopher Dawson said that culture is rooted in cult, for example— uh, how would you describe the culture that surrounds us today? What are its what are its key features in your mind? That's an interesting question. Um, I think you know every every culture, you know, every group of people has uh, things that identify them in terms of how they experience and have been trying to be open to truth. I think you know we can look at different cultures and see. Well, whether or not they're more or less open to truth, broadly speaking, or maybe they're trying to construct their own version of the truth. But everyone's trying to get at, um, you know, they're trying to frame like, their culture is a way to respond to reality, right? Indeed. So, and a number of commentators have described the the, the broader culture as an, almost like an anti-culture, and you mentioned this in your article 
um, an anti-culture is in some ways a, a, a way of being closed off to the truth. In what ways is that anti-culture manifested uh, concretely in our society? Yeah, I think there's lots of different ways, right? I think the way that I uh, think about it a lot, um, uh, you kind of take two issues um, that become kind of flashpoints there uh, in our public discourse are things like, uh, you know, racism and abortion, right, where we close ourselves off to the truth of um, the human life there, whether it's the dignity of all people um, when we discuss racism or the human dignity of the, the unborn. So in, in it's does Catholics, despite being part of the religion that is open to truth wherever it's found and embraces that, and you can see that in the, the Vatican museums, for example, where we see beautiful artifacts from cultures all over the world, um, Catholics, uh, it seems, according to your article, we can succumb to this temptation of being part of the anti-culture itself. Is that correct? Yeah, and you know that's that's where the, uh, the you know the dead end the dead end of the counterculture. That's a you know wrote it'll be a little provocative. We um, you know we hear that phrase a lot in our uh, Catholic movements, and uh, you know as I said in the article, it's it's fine as far as it goes when it becomes uh, pure pure uh, reaction. I'm going to reject anything that I see coming from the broader culture, that's that's where we get some difficulty. Um, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. So uh, I, I really talk about, I, I really recommend to anybody who has the, the time or the inclination to read uh, Benedict XVI, and when he was uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, wrote this great book on truth and tolerance, um, kind of explaining why uh, it was written framed from when the EU was considering having more of an explicit connection to its Christian heritage. And there was concern that uh, doing that would close the EU off or make it less tolerant to all the different groups of people that were moving in or that had started to grow up to be in, in the EU. And he basically makes this argument explaining how actually uh, being true to its Christian roots would make the EU the most tolerant and explains why, based on theology. Um, and I think what we can see sometimes uh, out of a you know, good desire to you know, reject these things that we talk about that are, are not true, that we see uh, prevailing uh, in certain parts of the culture, whether it's the racism or, or other things, uh, is that we start getting reflexively... Um, closed off to the truth that may be uh, in the culture. Because every person, every culture that develops around a community is, you know, because it's human, yes, it will have problems. We're all, we're all human, and we all have, we live in a fallen world, but we're also all made in the image of likeness of God, and every community has uh, a lot of good things, too. Uh, like St. Paul says, test everything and keep what is good. And we can fall ourselves, fall ourselves, uh, fall into a trap ourselves where we are um, not living an authentic Catholic experience by being closed off to the truth. We find where we are. 
We're speaking with Gunnar Gunderson. He's an affiliated scholar with the James Wilson Institute, a partner at the law firm of Gunderson & Gunderson, and has written a very fine article for the University of Notre Dame's Church Life Journal called The Dead End of Countercultural Catholicism. Gunnar, do you think that St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, in his uh, stand, uh, viewpoint and exhortation that everyone, when they act, is inclined towards the good as they see it? Um, and is that a helpful way to think about uh, combating negative cultural developments, political ideologies? Do we first have to try to find the good and identify the good that our opponents in a particular issue or uh, matter may be seeking and then engage them that way? Is that a more constructive way to go about things? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's that's what, you know, also uh, charity demands too, right? Um, and the Correct. church talks about that too in terms of, you know, the catechism trying to take things from the best uh, taking the best interpretation if possible of what people say, what you hear. And I think that's really, that's important in terms of having the right attitude to um, feel, for people to feel inclined to hear what you have to say. And maybe, you know, you never know where that could lead. Um, you know, that's also kind of the point of the article is getting, getting reflexively anti, you know, counter everything. Um, just because you know someone does X, Y, Z or thinks a certain way um, that is contrary to church teaching, you know, you might you might uh, find that you can. There's actually a lot that you do agree about, and they could see, um, well, maybe they may learn to respect the difference. Um, the Pope, in his latest book, "Let Us Dream," kind of talks about this too, where he describes that sometimes you need to just let attention sit and God will provide the breakthrough, but you do it in a way, the way you let that tension sit is, is by, you know, really making sure that you've uh, entered into a kind of a charitable dialogue with the person on the other side. And so that tension can exist without um, conflict. Intellectual charity, an often overlooked uh, habit and virtue in many ways. Say a little bit more about why you think countercultural Catholicism is a dead end. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's that's kind of we were we were talking about that. That it can be a dead end because it's important as a, a, a current pope said in the Fratelli Tutti, right? The cultures should be encouraged to be open to new experiences. The openness uh, to truth is the mark of uh, culture and authentic cultural development. And if we, as a church uh, in America, start focusing too much on being counter everything and start falling into a trap of being reactionary, we're actually going to be uh, cutting ourselves off from authentic Catholic cultural development. Right. Because then we will be um, basically creating an anti-culture because we will be reactionary, not open to truth. Indeed. So we've talked about the dead end of countercultural Catholicism in the abstract sense of a, a reality of being closed to truth. Um, concretely, can you give us some examples of, of things you've seen? You talked about abortion. Um, those, uh, people being closed to the science and the reality of what science tells us on the um, sanctity of human life, the just basic biological facts of uh, 
human conception. On the other side, you talked about racism and being blind to the realities of racism in our time and unwillingness, like you said in the article, to say is such simple things like Black Lives Matter. Where else do you see countercultural Catholicism uh, operating in a way that is concretely a dead end? Well, I guess the the big the the big ones for me um, just this past year is seeing the um, the amount of hostility to hearing um, a lot of people in the in the social justice space. I think we've gotten a little a little derisive and reactionary, and I understand some of the you know some of the feelings that people have had, but I think you know. Like you said, we, we hear the words "Black Lives Matter" sometimes, and I see in the Catholic some Catholic communities that uh, there's almost like a reactionary response to it, instead of you know really listening to what's what's being said and offered. Um, and it's created, you know, uh, another hat I wear. I'm a co-founder of the Black uh, Catholic Messenger, and we've talked about there a lot that. Um, you know, it's 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 gotten very 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 hard for um, a lot of Black Catholics to interact with certain parts of the church um, based on that hostility, and so you can see the anti-culture um, aspect already developing there. That uh, it, the the church is almost forming spaces of exclusion in certain places, and you know that's not evangelical. That's not um, you know that's not spreading the good news. So, Gunnar, what from your perspective, getting back to St. Thomas and uh, evil being a deprivation of the good and, you know, closing ourselves off to truth is in many ways a deprivation of that good. And that's one aspect of this countercultural Catholicism that you're citing as a dead end. But how do we go and build a culture? I mean, I think that's how do we fill the gap? How do we fill that deprivation and be the good? And that seems to be kind of what you're saying is the answer is like, let's build authentic culture. And rather than just fighting against bad things, let's be good things, and that's how we create authentic culture. Am I am I getting you right here? Yeah, I think I think um, you know I think we have to remember that a culture ultimately is uh, right. It's the lived it's the lived experience of a people. So I think number one is trying to be more open to the reality of the people in front of us. Right, and remember that we're not just fighting some war of ideas, but there are real people um, that are sharing with us their ideas that are many times um, relate somehow to their own experiences and their own life and their own culture. And uh, so I think number one is if we're more open to make sure we're always being, like you said, charitable and open to the people that will help, uh, create the kind of cross-pollination and culturation that will create uh, a more positive culture that is also a bridge for people to, you know, consider becoming part of the church. Yes, that's another thing, too. Uh, if we take a more open stance and rather than being reactionary, you know, ultimately, too, this is about building up the body of Christ, right? The, the more the culture it, within the church can build on the good things in the culture uh, in the country, then the more people who have those different and varied cultural 
backgrounds and experiences can participate in church life. It won't seem completely foreign to them. So that's that's another important aspect. Indeed, uh, exhibiting truth, living truth, beauty and goodness, these things are attractive, and evangelical is simply opposing things that are bad. But the, the, the devil's advocate here, Gunnar, is that while we still have to oppose the throwaway culture, we still have to oppose the culture of death and some of these bad policies, like, like today we're, as we record this, Senate Judiciary is hearing the Equality Act, a very problematic and damaging bill. Um, it's, it's difficult because our opposition as a church to that um, confuses people because who's against equality, right? So how, how do we um, do the kinds of things you're saying, like live the truth, build the culture, but at the same time push back on some of the negative dynamics of the anti-culture that surrounds us? Sure. I think Something that's important is to always make sure uh, whenever, you know, whenever there's something that uh, people in the broader culture might find confusing from the church or that sounds uh, hostile, like you said, is, I think, first of all, I think the church should always be doing the process of re, you know, re-examining, you know, what are the essentials, what, what what do we really need to, you know, fight? And at the same time, even when there's some things that need to be fought, what am I doing to reaching to reach out to the people who want this, you know, want whatever it is that uh, is against church teaching? What am I doing to show them that I'm not against them as people? What am I doing to to reach out and see? what's good in their culture that's, that, uh, that I can affirm, that I can offer to do, you know, collaborative work with, um, that I can create spaces for. I think that would go a long way to kind of, you know, make sure the church is, is being enriched from the tension of being in a, in a, in a country. Um, Pope Benedict talked about that in the Truth and Tolerance book, that you know, the church isn't uh, kind of a naked religion. It's a culture itself, a lived experience. And it comes into countries, whether, you know, we always talk about a lot about enculturation. Uh, and he, he says, well, it's, that's kind of artificial because uh, it kind of presupposes a, a naked religion that is, you know, you could plug and play. Uh, but there's really two meeting of two cultures uh, any, anywhere the church goes. And so there's going to be a good dialogue back and forth. The church always has something to learn, too, uh, as it uh, kind of enmeshes itself into a country and a culture. Um, and so we have to show a little bit of a willingness to change and also take a, be reflective about ourselves as a church and look at what's really essential to the religion and what is what are our own cultural pathologies that maybe we've developed that need some some purification as well. That's really well said, Gunnar. Thank you for that. And in uh, your article, you propose that saying yes to Christ should lead to a different posture with regard to culture. That seems to be the basis of not just being against something, but creating something positive. Can you flesh that out a little bit more for our listeners? Yeah. Well, I think that that's a good question. And uh, what it it means is a willingness, right? As I just said, we are not just 
a religion, not just a thought process. It's we're our whole church is here as part of the body of Christ to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, and, right, we say yes to the Lord, and that everything flows from that. Uh, that's the ultimate truth to be open to. Um, and so, you know, we're yes, we have that like any relationship relations. You know, when you say yes to somebody, you got to say no to certain things for that relationship to flourish. But the focus is on 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 the yes. And we, our Lord told us to go out to the world and preach the, the gospel to everyone. And so we are obligated to say yes to all the people, too, that we, we you know, we meet, that they are, they are children of God, and would find a way to, as much as possible, take anything uh, in the culture that's good and be willing to incorporate it. It's like St. Paul says, I've been all things to all men. Um, and we need to have more of that as, you know, to the extent possible to be, to be all things to all men, uh, you know, within the, the, the relationship we have with Christ, um, right. Just like he, he, he snags that uh, unknown God, uh, in Greece to talk to the Grecians about, about the Lord. Um, you know, he, we see that in the church of how much you think about how much we've taken in, for example, Roman and Greek culture, um, in the, in the church, um, you know, we just, just being all willing to assimilate a lot of the culture where we are, that's what we see as true can be very beneficial to the church. Indeed. And a, and a great thought for a program called the bridge builder, a lot of good stuff for us to chew on here. Uh, Gunner, thanks for publishing the Peace in Church Life Journal. Again, that title is The Dead End of Countercultural Catholicism. Gunner Gunderson, where can people go to learn more about you and your firm and your writing? Uh, well, they can go to uh, at G.B. Gunderson. That's Gunderson, S-E-N, on Twitter, and www.gunderson.com. Uh, hyphenlaw.com. Wonderful. Gunnar Gunderson, thanks so much for joining us today on The Bridge Builder and sharing your thoughts about building authentic culture in the light of Christ. And we'll be back in a moment with our mailbag segment. Welcome back to The Bridge Builder, where we help you connect your Catholic faith and public life. I'm Jason Atkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and now it's time to jump into the mailbag. Kit, what's in this week's mailbag? Yeah, so today's question is from a reader of our twice-monthly Inside the Capitol update. And listeners, if you're not familiar with the Inside the Capitol update, you can find that on our website. Just go to mncatholic.org and then click on the In the News under the Newsroom tab. You can also find those updates in your local diocesan newspapers. So in one of those recent Inside the Capitol updates, we discussed a bill that is aimed at decriminalizing poverty by replacing criminal penalties for unpaid parking tickets and minor traffic violations with civil collections. And one of our readers simply wants to know, why is it that we are saying that poverty is, quote, criminalized? 
Well, the way in which these unpaid civil penalties and parking tickets are compounds and the penalties increase for those um, and then puts people into a vicious cycle where because they're unable to pay for them, those penalties increase and are compound, resulting in many cases in criminal violations. Uh, The question is whether those should be criminal or they should maintain a status as civil penalties. There is a bill uh, that's supported by the Minnesota Catholic Conference, House File 336, Senate File 432, a bipartisan bill, House Democrat sponsor, Senate Republican sponsor, that would forbid suspension of a driver's license based solely on failure to pay a traffic ticket, parking fine, or court-imposed surcharge. Offenders would still be required to pay fines through a civil collections process. Allowing for a civil judgment instead of a license suspension aims to protect those living in or near poverty from unequal and just unjust collateral punishments, such as losing the ability to drive to and from work, which could potentially cost them their job and drive them further into a cycle of poverty. State Catholic conferences around the country have routinely supported similar efforts to de- decriminalize poverty in the legislature. And certainly it's the case that, um, you know, folks, uh, they, the, the law should treat people equally. And, it, and there's a degree to which just because that you have a certain income status doesn't mean you're exempt from the law. But we have to, as a society, make sure that, um, you know, we're not causing greater harms to both the person and the broader society by driving someone into poverty because they can't pay uh, fines and losing their license or having their license suspension. Is that the most productive way to impose punishment in that instance? And I think there's a good argument to be made for rethinking that. And indeed, a bipartisan group of legislators at our Capitol is making just such a proposal. That bill is House File 336 and Senate File 432. The sponsors are Jamie Becker Finn in the House and Bill Ingerbitson in the Senate. Wonderful. Thanks, Jason. And before we wrap up this week's episode, we always want to leave our listeners with those practical ways that they can really start to build the bridge between faith and public life, how they could start laying the bricks. What tips do you have for this week's bricklayer segment? Again, this session, unfortunately, there is a bill to legalize physician assistant suicide. Uh, the bill has the support in the House, uh, which has support in the House, would make it legal for doctors to provide their patients with amounts of legal drug, uh, lethal drugs to hasten their death. This bill, we think, undermines the relationship between doctor and patient. Giving someone a vial of pills to end their life is much cheaper and easier, of course, than providing real care. So we have to recognize that economics play a role in the push to um, uh, legalize assisted suicide. The reality is, is that when we legalize the the, the apparent choice of some, we endanger the health care choices and the health care rights of the rest of us. Because when care is expensive and killing is cheap, what do you think will be preferred by many providers, whether institutional or do- even doctors and health care uh, professionals in some instances? As Catholics, we must stand up for providing true care throughout life from its very beginning to the time when we draw our natural, our last natural breath. We encourage our, each of our listeners to become aware of and join with our partner organization, the Minnesota Alliance for Ethical Health Care. You can learn more about the Alliance at ethicalcaremn.org. It is a diverse, a bipartisan group of advocates ranging from uh, disability rights professionals to mental health advocates, churches, um, public policy organizations, you name it, more than 60 organizations that have banded together to promote ethical care. We believe that we should be promoting better care through life's journey. That's the policy choice that the state of Minnesota should be making in the state with some of the best 
healthcare facilities, resources, and professionals around the country. We should be advancing care and not hastening death. As a member of the Alliance for Ethical Healthcare, you'll be kept apprised of the latest updates on issues impacting end-of-life care and uh, ways in which you can impose efforts to legalize assisted suicide in our state. We also want to let you know that there's still an opportunity for you to join us virtually for this year's Catholics at the Capitol on Thursday, April 15th. You can watch virtually starting at 8 a.m. Thursday morning by heading to catholicsatthecapital.org where you will find the link to watch the entire day live. Again, that website is catholicsatthecapital.org. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Bridge Builder podcast. For those listening on our podcast apps, make sure to follow or subscribe so that you always know when a new episode comes out. Let us know what you thought of today's episode. Share your ideas for the Bricklayer segment or even send us your questions for the mailbag. Leave us a message uh, or drop us a line at show at mncatholic.org. Again, that's show at mncatholic.org. You can also catch up on our almost 100-episode library on our website, mncatholic.org slash podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in today to The Bridge Builder. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, and a new way for you to build bridges between faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, and for Kit Sapiniak of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, thanks for listening to The Bridge Builder, and God bless your day.